can't hear you though. That's okay, don't worry. You have a picture. That's why he's not out of business. Good evening, Manadnock Region. Welcome to the 51st episode of GoMo Tonight, the Manadnock Region's only locally focused weekly comedy podcast. We're here, as if you couldn't tell from that delightful intro music, in what our loyal listeners affectionately know as the Space Lounge. Once more, I'm your host, Chris DiLoretto, and I'm here with my wonderful co host, Zoe Rotenheinsman. And uh, boy, you know, do we have a lot to talk about this week. We are broadcasting tonight, you know, a little bit off our usual schedule. Usually it's Thursday night. It's actually Friday night, February 3rd. Uh, Groundhog Day plus one um, in the Groundhog worshiping calendar. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's almost 11 p.m. And, and we are broadcasting right now. In the middle of like the the deep the polar deep freeze of 2023, uh, Mount Washington has already set records um, up for America. Uh, the I think um, I saw Dan, our good buddy Dan Sesney. If you're ever interested in Mount Washington, buy his book, dansesney.com. Um, 108 negative 108 on the summit the last i saw yeah crazy crazy and even here in humble peterborough it's supposed to get down to like what like with the wind like negative 30 or some shit oh it's below that already yeah i think yeah it's supposed to hit like negative 40 wind chill but like these numbers i don't know if you feel this way but like they're not real numbers in my mind like Mm. i don't know what this means like it sounds cold and big but like i have no frame of reference to what that would be like i'm not gonna go outside and find out yeah no and it's like um so earlier i was outside and it was late enough because the the it was a you know kind of a dramatic and weird um temperature drop throughout the day where it started off real cold like real effing cold today this morning and then as the day went on, just like kind of like mercilessly like drove downward, right? And like the wind is whipping all day, right? But it was it was late in the afternoon slash early in the evening when like my car temp finally was saying like zero, right? So that's without the wind chill. So and I according to AccuWeather, that's when the wind chill was down to like negative 10, like or whatever. And like I don't know, it's like once once you get down below like five degrees, like to me, it all kind of feels the same. And like, I know you like die faster in it. Like if you, if you like hang around um, and you just are exposed, but like going from like the house to the car um, and whatnot, like, like it's real cold, but like, I don't, you know, you don't feel like um, in mere moments, I will have hypothermia kind of thing. Yeah. You know? uh-huh. I don't know. That's my that's just my take on it. Like I just remember and and you know, thanks to thanks to climate change, this was a much more common thing back then, but I just go back to, you know, our favorite nostalgic time besides the 90s, the Bush administration. Um when I was like living in Boston and going to school there, right? And like 
you know, we were just talking off the air about not having cars. Like, yeah, ne- none of us had cars. We were always waiting for public transportation. Like subways don't have heat, you know, um, in the, in the stations, most of them anyways, um, the car, the cars themselves do, but not while you're waiting. Right. And, you know, every year back then, unscientifically, of course, there would be like at least a week where it was like zero or like negative five, negative seven out or whatever. And, you know, like I said, being in the city and living that kind of public transit life, um, you're out in it kind of a lot. And we weren't even that smart. Like, and I will, I'll give everybody credit. I always talk about the ugly winter garb, but the flip side of it is that people here do sort of understand how to dress warm, uh, you know, in a safe, you know what I mean? They, they, they are well adapted here to survive in yeah. the negative temperatures in the city. Everyone's still trying to look good. You know, nobody's got yeah. wool underlinings and like, you know, you know what I mean? Like I do. Um, when even, I lived in Boston, I did not even have snow pants. I was like, yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't get snow pants till I moved to New Hampshire. No, yeah. I could have used them too. I, I was like, "How do people live with their legs this cold all the time?" I just yeah. walk around with numb legs. And just to show everyone that I am a fair-minded man, um, I do see this as the other side of the pendulum. Like around here, I think that you know we're, we're way too far over on the uh, um, the comfort and safety over appearance side, right? And it's just all you know, puffer jackets and you know, ugliness and whatnot. Um, and you know, way, way over on the other side is the, the city mindset, which is just, we don't care at all about being comfortable. And, and that isn't that fun either, if you have to spend a lot of time in it. So I'm just, I'm, I'm actually a, a secret closet moderate. I, I, I'm actually looking for middle ground here. Like I want you to try to look good, but don't completely kill yourself over it. Yeah. Put, put your wools on under your jeans. Yeah. Right. There's, there's ways there's, there's absolutely ways. Um, so that's what I'm, that's my frame of reference, I guess, is what I'm saying. And so we used to do it and it sucked, you know, but like, I honestly, and again, I'm not someone who hangs around out in this either way. So um, this is not a safety recommendation folks. Like don't take this as good advice. Right. But I am much more uncomfortable when it's like 28 to 34 and like moist in the air than I actually oh, yeah. am like below 10 degrees. Cause, cause when I'm out there, then I'm like, I know it's going to suck. Like I know it's kind of going to hurt. So I'm like prepared and it does. And the air is just, it, it almost feels like you're on a different planet kind of, you know, it's like a yeah. different sort of atmosphere, but with almost total absence of moisture, I feel like it doesn't like it doesn't like creep into like my fingers immediately. Like it doesn't. Yes. There's a certain thing about it. So I'm not recommending I'm not minimizing this or saying anybody should go outside or that we're not all fucked if like the tree falls down and the power goes out and we have no heat in the negative 32 because that's serious, obviously. But just in terms of like if you got to go run out and grab something like as long as your car starts and like house doesn't lock behind you and you're not trapped outside for the whole night without a phone or something um unlikely scenario but barring that you can you can kind of get by 
still, you know, putting, I think we, we have like the garage heat on, which we never put on, you know, just cause there's pipes and shit and we, you know, might make the faucets drip like you're supposed to, but um, it's weird. And then it's going to be over though. Like it climbs yeah. back up to zero around noon tomorrow. And yeah. then it just like, it, like it does the thing in reverse. It's like this like slow creep up and then like secretly like 24 hours from now, it just skyrockets and it's going to be 40 on Sunday. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. I mean, the, the negative the negative 15 or whatever Peterborough is supposed to get tonight, that doesn't, like, I feel like that happens, like, once once a year, at least not, one Not usually one double double digits. Not usually, like, with windchill wind double digits. In Francistown, when I lived in Francistown, I swear it was a yearly thing. That it would I'm used to down to negative know, as, ten as a as a lifelong New Englander r- around this like latitude or whatever. Um, I'm used to like one or two or up to a week of like single digit negatives, and mm-hmm. if there's wind, you know, there's a wind chill of double. But like this, like the actual temperature is like negative 12 and the wind is making it negative 30 is a little more Mount Washington ish yeah. than like, Oh yeah. It's the, it's the wind. It's the wind that I think is like worth talking about, but I yeah, swear sure. that I have seen the thermometer dip to like negative 10, negative 15 when I lived in Francistown. You probably see, you know, I'm sure back. you've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's annual, but I'm sure you've seen it. Um, anyway. It's not, it's not unheard of, you know um, for sure. But I guess we're just going a little bit further than than the norm here today. So, uh, you know, last thought on that, though, is is sort of just that um, the winter people and I and I swore and I'm not breaking my oath that I I wasn't going to really ride the winter people this year. And, you know, keep me honest here. I think I've, I've kept that promise. As I noted in a prior episode, it hasn't been that difficult. I don't deserve that many accolades much of the time, you know, so I'm not being critical here, but I just want to put out there that the real winter lovers out there who just talk about how it just, we're not going to get a deep freeze. And I guess we're still probably not, but we're not going to get any snow and all this stuff. Well, I don't know how long it's going to last. And obviously it came later than you wanted it to, but we've had like three weeks now of like real winter, like not strange, warm climate change, New England winter, but like cold and snow and ice and right. I mean, it's here. They're not getting nothing. Yeah. I I don't know how long it's going to last, but there's really only like two good days for cross-country skiing this season so if you're one of those people it's kind of sad there has been only two good days yeah how come because of like the quality of the snow and and like the ice Oh, because and, like, is it because it's thick and like like it's just it's just like really icy so mm. you can't really ski so well that is well i do feel bad I, I because because I said I would this year. Maybe I'll do it again next year too. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe maybe I can do it for charity or something. You know what I mean? Like maybe I can <laughs> we can get people to like pledge money if Chris is nice about skiers 
and snowmobilers and stuff for a second year in a row. So I am being nice. And Wait, are you being, being nice? Is, is snowmobilers too? Those are in your charity circle this year? You know what? If I'm going to accept one side of things, it, 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 it you know. All right. And, and I, 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 while I make allowances for myself with regard to a little bit of elitism here or there, right? It does feel a tiny bit too classist to me in this case, given that I hate winter sports of all kinds, personally, not that I'm griping this year, um, to say that I will give like the skiers and snowshoers a pass and like the snowmobilers don't get one, Okay. you know, I, I mean, I Fair don't enough. like snowmobiles, really. Um, I don't want one. I don't want one in my yard. Uh, we gr- growing up, we had at the same time, though, it was about to say growing up, we had um, snowmobilers would cut through like the edge of my parents yard all the time. Um, I didn't mind that, though. I, I was about to say I don't want them doing that. But like, I didn't love it. But it's one of those things that some people would get really bent out of shape about that. Like, and this was everyone in my family, my, like my mother would just worry that they would like run somebody over sometime, but that was never a real concern. They always stayed on the edge and they would have seen somebody rather than just driving over them, you know? And so it's not a big deal. So yes, I, hmm. yes, I extend my goodwill to the snowmobilers about, even though I, I hate little motorized things, um, not my favorite thing, but you have a right and, you want to enjoy the winter for some reason, I, you have my blessing. Um, so, but let's transition to talking about more warm climate, war, warm season things yes. that we have in store to look forward to because uh, tell us our top story for the week this week. Big oh news. my goodness. Big so- news. You might've missed it. Yes, this was this was, I guess, semi-officially announced during last week's uh, budget hearing for the Recreation Committee. Um, there are again officially no lifeguards at Cunningham Pond. They're not even asking for money in the budget to hire them. It's not going to happen. It's a done deal. So, parents of Cunningham Pond. <laughs> Victory is ours without even having to fight. And isn't that what Sun Tzu said was the ideal scenario is that you don't even have to fight. You know, that's, you know, he wrote the art of war, but he always said, you don't want to have a war if you don't have to, you just want to win without fighting. And that's what's happened here. And yes, just overwhelmed. (laughs) And the fact that they know that they can't find anybody. Um, (laughs) so we have that on our side if there was like i will say if there was like a million um teenagers who had taken a lifeguard course like banging on the door we probably still might lose this argument we would certainly have to fight for it i think but they know that that's not the scenario for better or worse kids just don't want to work no i'm sure i'm just i'm just joking everyone and i'm sure that's not why that is i don't really understand why that is but i don't think that so I'm, I'm just joking. Um, but there there were there were a few questions. Um, the select board, one of the select board members asked if that would deter people from wanting to go to the pond. Yes, our, and, friend, our friend Terry Burburner. 
several of us in the audience had to bite our lips and tongues to not laugh out loud at that suggestion. That's, that's our, for, for those who don't know who, who Terry, Terry is, um, that's, that's our uh, esteemed select board chair, uh, Tyler Wood. And, you know, I, I think, um, I don't see Tyler at the pond. So like, I don't think he knows like the culture and everything. Um, so right. I don't blame him. And he is no offense, Tyler, but he's, he's not one of us. He's not a, he's not a millennial parent. Um, it's true. it's true. And so he's, he's not in the milieu. And he just doesn't um, know how, how many of us have agonized over the presence of the lifeguards. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. And him, him personally for asking the question, it's just funny, like how much we've, we've all talked about it and, and wished for it. And yeah. Know. So I understand that why he doesn't know like the answer, but he, I, I did, I sent him a message and I was like, people will, so I understand why he would ask, like, I don't think we've said exactly what he asked, but what he asked was, you know, would this deter people from going to the pond? And, you know, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm blanking on the name or our esteemed rec director's name. Oh, Lisa, Lisa. Sorry. I'm sorry, Lisa, Um, Lisa, who was giving for context here, we're talking about um, any of you who may have seen or heard of our special episode with Andrew Osterman, in which we went through his analysis of the DPW presentation to the joint select board and budget committee um, weekly meetings that they've been having and the departments are presenting these things. Um, those have continued. And I actually, I, I sent Andrew a message before we got on the air to see when we can get him back on. Cause everybody's like all kinds of exciting groups have gone like police fire. Um, I mean, this week it was rec and library, but somewhere in between there was like a bunch of, um, really interesting departments. Um, planning which i mean planning small but um interesting and it includes the economic development um portion which as we know from last year is a very um controversial subject at times but anyway so i i don't i didn't get to watch most of these i didn't see them but i did watch this hearing which just happened this week so this was tuesday uh the 31st i guess and so again joint select board and budget committee and Corinne presented for the library, Lisa presented for the rec committee. And, you know, I, I do want to emphasize that, you know, sometimes we might sound a little, I might sound a little critical of, you know, the, the rec committee and rec department, but uh, I want to be clear that it was a very good presentation. I thought that the explanations for things were, were legit. I have serious disagreements still with the, the sort of general philosophy with regard to, uh, you know, the bunker slash community center. But that aside, you know, the, the budget was, was adequately presented. The, the programming was well supported, well defended, well demonstrated for its benefits. Uh, very, very good. Um, presentations yeah so so tyler was asking his question you know just to make sure i don't remember what lisa's answer was because yes we were all just thinking in our heads dude you know i messaged him on on facebook messenger i was like more people will want to come to the pond because there's no lifeguards and he 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 you know 
didn't dispute it. He just seemed like genuinely he didn't know, um, which is totally fair. Due diligence. Great job, um, select board. But um, uh, other interesting questions, though, in in this process, there were and, and again, it's OK. I'm giving people a little shit here. I'm not trying to make a big deal out of it, though, because it's important for members of the budget committee and the select board to ask questions in these hearings. That's what they're for. But, but some of the, some of the questions just crack me up and, and I'm not going to single anybody out because to be honest, even though I watched it, I don't remember who, who said what, but like there was just some funny nickel and dime questions. Like the library presentation was so cut and dried. Well done, Corinne, but so good that like, I don't even have any real comments on it. Um, you know, it library's great and they're going to continue improving and they're all on their game and the money's well spent, et cetera, et cetera. You know, great. But the question was, it was, you know, she was running through, I think, the the different revenue sources um, in terms of the rooms available in the library for rent and that the downstairs room, like one is called the classroom and one is the boardroom or the conference room or something, right? And we used to rent these for various things, which we haven't done in a while, but sorry, library. Um, but they're like 25 for the smaller one and 50 for the other one for two hours, unless you're a nonprofit and it's free. And you know, like someone just asked this real like question to the effect of like, are these nonprofits taking advantage? Like, well, you know, like what if they come in too much or they ask too much of the library or something like that. And like, even that, no surprise, Corinne had a great answer for it because it's actually capped at like twice a month that they can have it for free. And then after that, they have to pay and they don't demand like catering from the librarians or anything. So it's just kind of, but I I get it that we're talking budget and we want to be protective of the taxpayer dollar and stuff, but like, that just seems like a weird place to really hone in on because the, even if we were to charge every nonprofit who comes in there, how much lost revenue are we gaining? Especially since several of them would probably find someplace else that was free, right? Cause they're nonprofits and they're meeting there because right. they can't pay 50 to a hundred bucks a month for meeting space. Right. There were a few, there were a few similar questions about rec things too. Like, you know, right now we get one car sticker per household free for Cunningham Pond. The second one you have to pay for if you want another car sticker. Um, but the but somebody on the budget committee was like, "Have you thought about charging for those? Have you thought about raising the price on the pool? You know, like just have you thought about how you could." get more money from people. <laughs> we, we just want you to at least be able to answer that you have considered whether or not to do that. And that, yeah, I, that's another one where it's just like, we, like we have, it, it, it reminds me of the idea where like, there's no affordable housing I mean, it's, it's become a joke now, so I don't think people actually say this in earnest anymore, but it was much more common, like, say, post-financial crisis, um, when when people like you and I were in our, like, mid to late 20s, and 
you know, most most of us weren't making that much money, um, you know, bad job market and shit. And, you know, again, housing was cheaper then, but like none of us could buy a house and like stuff like that. And it was always like, well, you know, that's because you spend too much on coffee. You know, and and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you you know, and then late, later on that evolved to like the avocado toast thing a yeah, little yeah, bit yeah. later in the decade. Um, but it's that same concept of where like, all right, like I could save like forty bucks a month if I didn't buy the coffees, but like my deficit for like what I need for this big thing, whether it's a house or anything else that you're telling me that I should, have, or like saving half my income or some crazy shit like boomers would always say, right? Um, is like hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a month. So it doesn't matter how much I nickel and dime myself on my coffee treat. I Then I'm just denying myself coffee and I still have, I still don't have the house or I still don't have whatever it is I'm supposed to have, right? This right. is that. Like right. a town budget, we can say that like, yeah, it's it, it, it keeps going up and property taxes keep going up and, and it's clearly a concern of a huge segment of the town, right? That this is happening, but doing this, if we were to say charge everyone instead of giving everyone, every family in town, one of their vehicles free to go to the town pond, <laughs> we're just killing one of the greatest town services that we have in this town is our exclusive free pond, right? And it wouldn't make a dent in anybody's property tax. Like not, not even a tiny little bit, even if you did, uh, you got that like two grand or whatever that would amount to be from like every department somewhere. Right. It's like, Ooh, you know, like we worked really hard and like found $25,000 in our like $50 million budget that we, you know what I mean? And, and in, and in doing so in several cases, we made things shittier. Like we, we took away right. services that are, legitimately good that we are able to provide without much financial or labor burden right and the budget's the same you know? well, i mean like like our property taxes wouldn't go down by ten dollars the ten dollars that we would then be having to spend exactly. to go to the pond <laughs> like, exactly right it's exactly. not a so help paying more money to the to the town to not pay less, you know, it's, it, that's so again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a dick, but like, please consider those things when you ask those types of budget questions, because, you know, that's just, <laughs> it's like a, like stealing some joy for like no benefit whatsoever. And then the other, <laughs> the other one was the farmer's market question. <laughs> Because of course the the um, farmers market happens on the lawn of and, and I think in other months inside right don't they do it inside for a month or something that's at a the great end? question I think that they might do a month yeah or, so sometimes or, inside but mostly out on the lawn of the of the community center the bunker um, it's one of the reasons people tell me we can't knock the bunker down because there's no other lawn in town where this could possibly take place um, <laughs> no other stretch of grass with a parking lot could be found but anyways that's where it is and they pay for it um it's not a town farmer's market it's a right i assume it's like a 501c3 or an llc or something that um facilitates this market and they, and they pay they rent they rent the grass no, yeah. they rent the grass they rent the grass every week and we get revenue from that 
<laughs> somebody was just like, it was another one of those, like, are we getting enough out of the farmer's market? Like, if they get more vendors, they get more money, and are we charging them more? <laughs> and I mean, um, Lisa's answer to that, I do remember, and it was great. She was kind of like, you know what? I've already like broached this subject with you know, I think she said the name of the, and, and she's like, they're like pleading with me because they're like, we can't even afford the way it is now. Like we can't, you'll break us if you go above anymore. Um, which I think is probably true. How much margin could they pop? You know, I don't know because if they charge too much fees to these vendors, then they're not going to break even or, or make money. Right. And it's, it, it's a low margin game, a farmer's market for everyone involved. So, and, and it's not yeah. a big commercial enterprise like you know what i mean like there's not a lot of honestly what? like when we've done when we've done sales at farmers markets and other vending places oh, like God, that it's a like few bucks. we cover the we we often cover the table fee always but yeah, like yeah, I don't, if you ever lost money but if you start counting like your time like your time mm -hmm. your labor sure oh the, yeah we weren't no, no labor way. no way yeah, and no think way. about a farmer like having to like harvest for a market and then sit there for hours. Like, no way. No way. No way. No one's yeah. getting rich at the farmer's market. No. And again, it's a, that is absolutely, I think if you pulled the people in this town of all stripes, they would all say that that's a benefit to the town to have a farmer's market there. Yeah. You know, and that getting like an extra couple hundred bucks, you know, I don't know what hundred bucks extra from them a week or, or whatever over a, however many weeks that they even go like, so maybe half the year you get like less than a thousand bucks, less than 500 bucks. Um, and potentially break them. Right. You know I mean? it potentially... the $10 Cunningham pot sticker. Like it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of the town budget, but it might actually matter to like the person who's now having to pay this extra thing. Yep. You know, the, those mm -hmm. things matter, even just psychologically, the thought of like having to pay for the pond. It would bug me. It would bug me. I really, really enjoy it as like a free service provided by the town. It it does. It matters to me. <laughs> it's free, yeah. you know, and I'll gladly pay for the second car, you know, like that's sure. I don't mind that at all. Sure. That's totally fine. And, you know, but give me that one sticker. You know, you know what else I would pay for at the pond is a hot dog. Yeah. I know. I just like this hot dog machine is lying fallow and like they should just set that up in the little you know, lifeguard shack. Like I would buy 10 extra dollars worth of hot dogs over the course of the season. Probably. <laughs> I would probably spend 10 bucks on hot dogs in any three week period at the at Cunningham Pond in the, in the season at a hundred percent. And that is a great point because if we want to talk about making an impact on things like let's actually like compare things to, like so all right like maybe we could get like two grand pissing everybody off by making the town pond no longer a service of the town essentially like it's, yeah like you know uh access granted by right of living here taken away we take that away maybe we get two grand but like hot dog selling is a high margin endeavor even if you're only charging like two bucks a hot dog and yeah. even a if you of chips like you know even if you personally 
are are anti hot dog because it's like processed meat and all that stuff, you know. Um hopefully nobody's offended by this comparison, but it's kind of like when um it, this is a real thing where it, it's it's sort of okay sometimes for Mormons to invest in in businesses like on the edge of gambling sort of thing. Um even though they are against that it, there, there's arguments that are made sometimes as to why they can make money from it. So think like that. You know, if you hate processed meat, a lot of other people don't. They're still going to buy it. If they don't buy it from you, they're going to buy it from somebody else. And we, you could make way, like I said, way more than two grand just selling hot dogs and bottled water and yes. little sodas. You know, maybe you could get little like hoodsy ice cream cups. I mean, like, you could make so much money just selling a few snacks in there. Oh my there. gosh, popsicles at the pond? Who would popsicles not buy a pond. popsicle? Who would not pay a buck for like a freeze pop at the pond? For you know? real. Mm-hmm. Easy. For real. Easy money. Easy money. Easy money. And you know, I know they have their own private little Wi-Fi in there, you know, so they could definitely run a, a square machine, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so there's no excuse there. So like... Yeah, like you want to like raise money or something like that. Like, let's be creative, and talk, I mean, like, and that's not a far. That's I say creative even, right? But like, that's not a thing that a town doesn't do. Like, that's it's do. Like, I for example, um, huge operation is Swansea baseball, right? Remarkable little culture. It's like. Uh, being an anthropologist, uh, just going there um, to watch your kids' games. And I'm not going to get into the, all, all the reasons why that's true. But my point here, though, is that they have just like a, a very simple little concession stand. And they're slammed and they make bank. Like they even on because the baseball games are in the morning sometimes, right? They even sell little egg English muffin sandwiches you know, for a couple of bucks and like people, everyone goes like, it's a, and I'm not even asking for egg sandwiches. Right. You know what I mean? I'm not even asking to go that far, but this is doable um, by a town and it's, it's a very simple thing. And that could raise revenue and like be applied to costs and like, uh, offset, you know, people mentioned in the meeting again that like at least once or twice a year there's vandalism on the pond. So there's kind of like preventable upkeep costs, which of course, like we want to deter the vandalism, but like assuming that maybe like once or twice a year someone is going to do a antisocial act to our pond, young people. I, I have a, a generous heart for the, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's got, it's, I don't want them to do it. I want them to stop doing it, but once or twice a year to me is like an acceptable cost of um, like, if you were in retail, you might call it shrinkage. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's just the acceptable level. Like, you know, that people are going to steal X amount um, or, 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 you know, theft damage and like X, Y, and Z is going to cut a little bit off. So we accept that we know that that's going to happen. And this could just cover that. It could cover other things. I don't know. Much better than like enraging everyone and just 
taking the joy away by charging a fee to the people that use the pond. Anyways, besides that, though, it was a nice, I thought it was a nice, other than than when we talk about, and I I guess, let me just make just a couple quick points, because I don't want to have a whole other episode about tearing the building down. But like, on both sides, both from like the rec presentation and from like the Budcom and the select board, there's a few ways that everyone's talking about this that I don't really like. And that's the, you know, from, I think the rec, the rec department side, it's more of a, we need to do this kind of thing. And I understand that that's their position, but given that I don't think that's really a subject that's been adequately debated at all, I would prefer that it be talked about as less of a given and less of a settled matter, less of a policy of the department. You know, I think the department's policy should be a little more exploratory at this, Mm. at this stage, rather than necessarily advocating for money to be spent for this. Right. But on the flip side, when, I, I heard questions and comments from, I mean, I think someone um, on, and maybe it was the select board made a joke about how I don't think that the, we're, you know, we're trying to get money for a fire station. Like, I don't think people are in the mood for more capital expenditures and everything, but I think we've talked about this on the program before you, you found this in, in the original um, vote of the town to take over the armory, which is that there's a stipulation and yes, it can be undone. It could be undone by the voters. And I think it could be undone even by the select board by vote, but it it would have to be voted on. But this town agreed in voting to take over the armory and make it a community center that tax money would not be spent on the, on it at all. Um, So we shouldn't even be talking about joking about, rate or having a vote for capital expenditure because you know you have to vote on record to change the will of the people granted it was 20 or 30 years ago or whatever so you might argue that times have changed and we don't give a shit what the peter Burroughians of the 90s said um but i think we should i think it's where you have to at least give them their due i do think that that joke was about building a new community center i think they were saying building a new one is off the table because of the fire station okay that's fair okay i kind of take it back take some of it back then there Um, there were a few comments that were that seemed like confused about the the rule about not spending tax dollars but i don't remember the general vibe that i got is it didn't seem like people really knew that and i want people to know that is this this town did vote once upon a time we can unvote either through our representatives or ourselves, but we did vote the collective. We obviously we weren't here, but um, that we weren't going to use public money on that building. And so again, I love, I love the rec department. I think it was a great presentation and it, it demonstrated the wealth of programming and services that are available to us in this town at frankly, very little expense overall. Yeah. And, and and I have to say, Lisa works really hard on the budget and is very mm-hmm. thoughtful about it and, yeah. and talks to the committee about it a lot and really is she keeps a very flat budget. This is my second budget season on the committee and she works like super hard to make that happen. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, no, and it showed. I felt like that that came across in the in the presentation and in the Q and A, and um, so I like it all. I like it all. I just don't. But like when we talk about these like little things and like big things and stuff, like a big ass savings would be not saving that building. It would be a big ass savings, and I'm telling you, if if anyone did a real analysis, not of like not making a list of like all the things that would be fucked if we didn't have a community center, but like give me two alternatives for each one of those things on that list. I I bet you could find them. Even if, even if one of those two is always going to be a school and the school doesn't want to, um, I'm telling you, we can't let that happen because that's not in the public interest. And I truly believe that if, if we're going to maintain this position from Conval of we don't want to help you, we don't want to help you taxpayers save money, even in ways that are not related to our school budget, which we won't let you touch. We need to start voting people in who have the right mindset on this. Um, so again, I said that another episode, we don't need to hash all that through again, but, um, I did just want to mention that, but yeah, great presentation. I hope Andrew will come on and talk about it. I want to hear his take on police and fire, um, planning. And I wish I remember the, it was a, it was an interesting one that was presenting along with planning. Um, this is going to kill me. I got to look it up. Jimmy, Jimmy, the producer, um, isn't on, although as I think I might've said last time, um, this new platform, which we may or may not keep, um, has the function where if we had a Jimmy, the producer, he could actually join this broadcast and he could be like in here with us, but you guys wouldn't see or hear him. And he could like mess with stuff and make sure we're good and like look things up for us and <laughs> I think even talk to us, but I don't think he'd be recorded. So like we'd hear him, but you wouldn't just like a more professional show. Um, <laughs> not, not that we're not professional, but we just have a, a lower budget. Um, yeah. Minutes, packets and recordings. But I think, oh, I was think it um, oh, oh, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. IT that was, is interesting. Gosh. Um, yeah, all the all the technology of the town. Um, I'm sure that, that was an interesting presentation. You know, um, you know, infrastructural shit that is critical, but we don't see or talk about really most of the time. Yeah, um, probably probably pretty interesting. And again, I want to hear if Andrew has ideas about it or thoughts about it. So, yeah, Andrew, if you hopefully, I mean, this episode will come out in like a week, so or or more, so. Hopefully by then you've seen and responded to my message and maybe we've had you on. <laughs> Hopefully. Oh boy. But we it, it did occur to us as we were um, preparing to go on the air tonight uh, that without even going through the paper, we just off the top of our heads, th there's actually a few noteworthy happenings we might call them news i guess that have occurred since the beginning of the year that we haven't actually touched on in our we've been saying nothing's been going on nothing's been going on and and maybe in the in the like dark tide of nothing going on 
none of these things individually could withstand that to like, you know, get mentioned on the program. But now that there's like three or four of them, it's sort of like, all right, there's a few things we've neglected to talk about that people who um, have an interest in, in the, you know, cultural and civic life of the area might want to know. Um, so there's been a couple of um, business ownership changes since the first of the year. Uh, Brady's, uh, a favorite of many, and one of the only places, if not, I think maybe besides uh, Mihalisco, maybe that has like sports games on. So for people who like to watch sports at the bar, um, one of the only places that has that. I don't know if they still will. I don't know. Um, so it was purchased by um, Eliza Allen, um, co-owner of Aesop's Tables, uh, another local favorite, right? And again, we don't we didn't bring the paper up in front of us, but a partner um, who I don't think is the same co-owner who co-owns Aesop's. Oh, I didn't realize that. I, I could be wrong about that. Sorry if I'm lying. But in any case... Um, so big change over there. The the former owner, um, we'll call him Barry. I don't think that's his real name, but um, I don't I don't know it. But he he's a he's a favorite. Sorry, Barry or Dennis or whatever, um, if I'm getting it wrong. But um, seems like a great guy. People say, people had a lot of really really great things to say about him, and um, he's just been doing it for like thirty years or some crazy shit like that. And it's time to retire. Um, his name's not Brady. No, it's not. No, it's definitely not Brady. <laughs> Um, It'd be funny if it was it was Barry. He's like I'm Barry, who owns Brady's. It's just it's just so close. I don't know. Yeah, um, it's kind of funny. Okay, Peter Cummings and Eliza Allen are the owners of Brady's now, and oh god, I'm out of free articles. Come on, um, it's okay. I don't know if you guys know this, but you can. Um, not that I'm recommending this, but it's just something I've noticed is that. Uh, when the little JavaScript comes up saying on a, on the, uh, the newspaper's website saying that you've, you know, kind of hit your limit and you got to log in or subscribe, they dim the background, but it's actually really easy to read, especially on a large screen. So um, I'm kind of complaining for nothing. You know, I, Hey, I didn't make that up. His name was Barry. Oh, wow. All right. Is that what I said? Oh man. It is what you said. Nice Yeah. Wow. It's Okay. I kind of thought I was being flippant to make that. No, his name was Barry York, uh, 23 years. And this officially happened on January 1st. Was he so, the original owner? Do you know? I think so. Yeah. Cause, cause okay. the third paragraph States um, for more than two decades, Brady's American grill has been a staple restaurant in Peterborough after saying that he ran it for 23 years. So if there was a, prior owner they only had it for a few years based on those two statements gotcha. adding them together gotcha. um, brady's is one of i guess the few restaurants in peterborough that i've never been to um i've been there a couple of times but never to the bar and i've never experienced like the bar culture there i'm curious as to whether it will change um but I will have to rely on the testimony of others to let me know if that's the case, because obviously I, I didn't make it in and I have nothing to compare it to. Um, but yeah, yeah um, you know, York said he was working 80 to 90 hours a week for like 20 years. So he's wow. Hey, 
um, and and isn't that really what that that's a good segue to our next topic because I think in one of the early articles about um, our good friend Willard Willard Toadstool selling um, putting Toadstool up on the market, which I think he actually did like a year and a half, two years ago yeah, at this point, wild. something like that. Yeah. Um, that was he said something almost he didn't say eighty or ninety, but I think he did say sixty or seventy hours a week. He was working all the time, and he was just ready to. Which again, I I totally get it. I I work really hard to avoid working that many hours in a week, and um, so I, I can certainly understand getting up there being like sixty, sixty-five, seventy. Um, I don't know how old Barry is, but I think Willard is. I think one of the articles published he's, he's seventy or something. You know, he's he's up there. No offense, Willard, you're a spry gentlemen um but um you don't want to be doing that at that you, you gotta you gotta take it easy a little bit um and so totally understandable but but um the that has finally happened i think there was a, a couple of uh, potential buyers over the um months since that announcement was made but um toadstool more recently than january 1st has now um changed hands but it is it is official now right like there's no more that willard is, to that be is found correct. except for nashua um so right. willard so there's there's three toadstools there's the nashua one which used to, which a lot of people know as the milford one it's on the same stretch of amherst street slash 101a but they moved from where they were solidly in milford a couple miles down the road in in what's over the border into Nashua. Um, and then there's Keene, and then there's the heart of it, like the the key toadstool, which is in Peterborough, of course. And so it's um, Peterborough and Keene have been sold to the Sister, I hope I'm saying that right, Sister family of Peterborough and Dublin. Um, and wow, Willard was doing that for 50 years. Wow. Um, 50 years. Congrats to you, Willard. Willard's been a, a good, a Seriously. good friend to us. Um, he's, he's agreed to um, carry our Monadnock um, underground published books in a hundred percent of, of cases that we've offered them, including back when we had a magazine without a title on the cover, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, he still bought some of those and um, and a book without a title on the spine. And he yeah, like, and a book without a title like, on the spine. We started off, we made, a couple of, we made a couple of rookie mistakes back at the beginning, but Willard was forgiving. Drives a hard bargain in terms of, uh, you know, getting his end of it. But, you know, he's a businessman, and uh, that's why I was able to do this for, for so long. Um, but they're keeping the staff on, and uh, it's Emerson Sister is uh, kind of seems like he's sort of the spokesperson for the family. Um and uh, perhaps he's kind of in charge. I'm not sure. He said his parents are also involved. So he, he may be, you know, of a millennial or, or Gen X persuasion. Um, ages aren't listed. Um, but Willard's keeping. Willard and his family, his real last name is Williams, not Toadstool. Um, they're, they're keeping the Nashville one and they're changing the name to Balin Books or Balin Books. Oh, right. ba oh probably Balin. that detail. How do you spell yeah. it? Uh, B-A-L-I-N, like the dwarf. Oh. I don't know if that's what they're naming it after, but it, it is spelled like the, um, the, sure, they, the dwarf. sure they are. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, yeah. I would guess. I don't know. He's obviously a literate fellow. He must know what he's doing if he spells. Unless there's yes. some other significance of Balin that a literate man like him knows that I do not. 
You know what I mean? It might not. Ju- it might be more than just the dwarf. I bet it's not. But I bet you're right. um, yeah, I think it might be the only only one. But this makes me wonder: Do you think that the new toadstool is going to keep Aesop's in it? Oh, and like juxtaposing the, these stories just put this thought into my head. Is that a preemptive move? Um, that's an yeah. interesting idea. You know, you never know. Um, it, it would not be unreasonable for the Sister family to potentially want to take the cafe in house, you know, and, and do it if they have an interest in that sort of thing. Maybe they want to do it themselves. Um, I think that the current regime at Aesop's. Um, is is not been there even as long as my tenure here. I mean, it's had other right. owners in the past. I think right, um, five or six years ago. I think maybe was the last time. I could be wrong. That um, sounds about sounds about right though. Like when when I first started exploring Peterborough before before I moved here. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. I I remember the time when it was closed for a while because it was changing in between. Owners. In yeah. between. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I look forward to, um, you know, reaching out to the new owners with something. It's, it's another one of those things that's kind of on our, our, our ever growing to-do list as, uh, the crazy winter kind of gets away from us. But, um, we do want to reach out to them and introduce ourselves and kind of establish a similar relationship, um, to what we had with Willard in terms of, um, being a local publisher and media company and, you know, would love to collaborate on events and um, we'd love it if you would open later and do events at nighttime. And if you have, you know, I, I recognize that this might be a bit of an economic risk to try, but like, especially these days, but like, man, it's another one of those things about the aughts and before that, like nobody remembers, but like back in the Bush administration, the point of a coffee shop was like to be there at night and have the coffee to like Mm. make you awake so that you could like talk to your companion or do whatever you were trying to do because you didn't want to be tired you know whereas now it's like everybody's like oh i cannot have a thimble full of caffeine after 11 a.m or else i will be up till four in the morning and i'm just like i don't know I don't believe that it was like lead in the air from leaded gas that made people able to drink coffee always and go to bed all the way up until like six years ago when everyone decided, I just, I can't, it's so strong. I can't handle it. I don't know. And even those people back in the day used to drink decaf. They would still like to just like socially have the coffee anyway. Yeah. Um, So nothing wrong with that secret decaf. Yeah. Maybe we can bring that back. Boy, um, that would be so nice. I love wouldn't this that be cool? idea. There's not that many places in Peterborough to go at night. No, there's not. And I don't, you know, I'm not always um, the one to promote the, uh, say, like dry option of things. But, you know, there's a lot of people who are like into either like full sobriety or um, things like dry January and I don't know I think they do it in another month sometimes or whatever I don't know and there's definitely no place for those folks to go um at night even if you're even if you're not into it maybe just sometimes you don't feel like yeah you just would rather like you you want to be out 
talking. Once in a while, I do just want a coffee and not like yeah. tequila. You right. know? Yeah, I don't know. that's it true. Seem even like even that I, crazy. even I, it's not. It's not that crazy. No, it really isn't. So just things to think about, but cool, cool opportunity. I'm excited to see what they do um, with Brady's, and and if it if it changes or stays the same, or I'm sure it's not going to stay exactly the same. But like, does it keep the same clientele? Do they start putting music in there sometimes? Um, because we have lost at least one musical venue recently. Uh, who who's to say? A lot oh, of possibilities. Okay, but this reminds me, speaking of musical venues, so I mentioned this to you the other night, but I found out recently that Peterborough used to have a heavy metal club, which I just think is amazing. It was called The Rec Room, W-R-E-C-K, and it was apparently in the plaza with, like, where Poncho's is now, there was, like, a different pizza place there, and Uh I think The Rec Room was, like, somehow- Between them and Yen Yen? maybe like somehow the the rec room was connected to the pizza place or like a piece of the pizza place was sometimes the rec room but i just i just kind of love the fact that this was a thing and i I I want to know more about it (laughs) i do too and i um i don't like heavy metal and i don't want to go to a heavy metal show but i'm fascinated by the idea that they're I mean, we've referenced this. I've thought about it a lot because it's clear that like Peterborough's always been like kind of quirky and like a city state unto itself in comparison with even other areas in the Monadnock region, right? Never mind New Hampshire. It's very different. But that the ways it was different specifically in even like the nineties is very different, I think, from today. And one way to think about it, and this is just a minor slice of it, is that like just from a cultural perspective, I believe um, Harlow's existed contemporaneously. I mean, this is like it feels like we're talking about like the Paleolithic age and like there was a time when Triceratops existed alongside <laughs> Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, but like there was a time when I think there was like Harlow's. There was this this mystical um, folk way place that was like a famous folk music place of the east coast basically um for decades um and a heavy metal place in the plaza all at the same time and i think that's fascinating and cool yes me too even if i don't want to resurrect exactly most or all of those things right um i want to get back to a place where there's enough people who want to go see heavy metal and folk and like, dare I say like jazz and funk or something that there's places that are just doing it, you know, and creating a, a, a little thing and that we don't just leave that. Sorry, Luca to Keen, you know, I'm not sorry to Eric because he scheduled thing in the spring on the same day as children in the arts day again. Um, for the second year in a row and that is just such a fuck you to the town that like I just I don't know why you would do that it's like I don't know it's like like cursing someone at their funeral like it's just so obviously disrespectful when there's like so many weekends in the spring Mm. 
He used to do it in June too. That's the thing about it's it very that makes spiteful. it seem on like purpose. It's just, it's just yeah. it, I just can't believe it's a mistake, and I, I re- really resent it. Um, I don't. I just don't like that. Um, it's mean spirited. It's it's not it's not goodwill yeah. amongst all of us, you know. Anyways, but the, I want to hear I want to hear stories about the rec room. If there's people, yeah, does anybody out there have any stories I, about? This? I want to know about this. Like, please, um, we touch. do. We we will. You know, if you have a lot of stories, if you're like somebody who like frequented it, and you were part of the rec room culture, um, we would even have you on for a short segment on the show, just to, you know, Makes we sense. could plumb your memories. Um, I I. And real in a Peterborough heavy metal. That's really interesting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's learn more about that sometime. Um, and then the, the last couple bits of news are, I guess, relatively minor in and of themselves, and they may not affect you directly at all, but I think that they are interesting, especially when combined together in um, just uh, looking at the economics of our region and the different businesses that, that rise and, and fall and like compete. And um, so the, the, the two businesses that um, I want to mention quickly are uh, what's it called? The Wolf Pine Hollow farm? The farm, at, farm at Wolf Pine Hollow, the farm at Wolf Pine Hollow um, in Hancock and um, Ben's Sugar Shack. Right, that's Ben's Maple Bar. Ben's Sugar. What, what the hell? Why am I ben blanking? Sugar Shack. Them? I think ben, that's okay. Right. I don't know why I'm second guessing myself. Ben's Sugar Shack, um, in in Temple, and um, when it comes to the the farm at Wolf Pine Hollow, I, this is a controversy that I was only recently made aware of. Um, I didn't. I, I've seen them posting things on Facebook, like they they sell they will sell you a ticket to take pictures in front of um, sunflowers in the sunflower, which I have such mixed feelings because like on the one hand, I'm like, I don't want to like buy a ticket to take a picture in front of sunflowers, but a field of sunflowers is really cool. And I don't know anyone with one who will let me do that. And you know, it's New Hampshire. So I don't want to like trespass and have somebody shoot me over a sunflower selfie, you know? Um, or trying to like recreate like Terrence Malick, like tree of life kind of thing. Like, so maybe I would buy a ticket. I don't know, but that's what I associate them with is like those types of things. They, they sell agricultural experiences and that's, they, they build themselves. as They'll tell you that they're, they're agro-tourism and they, they came here to Hancock from somewhere else, New York or something after doing market research and determining that this was a place where they could make money doing this. And they clear cut like a huge stretch of land near the downtown, which is, I think, the initial cause of the controversy. Less so than the ways that they make their nut, the clear-cutting of this part of Hancock was, um, I think, Mm. of great consternation. Because Hancock is, as I understand it, one of the most, if not the most, like persnickety town in our region about maintaining every detail of its downtown and, and not... You know, like they don't want people to build fences that are not like properly like wooden or whatever um, that they would have built the fences with when the town was found. Like they're very serious about it in Hancock. And 
Now, you're allowed to cut trees down on your own land, though. Um, so that's not really a town thing. So they bought the land and they did it because that's their right. And as many subsequently pointed out after the outrage, it's like, yeah, this is shocking to you Hancockians who drive through the town and are used to having trees there. Um, but as I love to remind people, this entire region was like 100% forested not that long ago. Totally clear cut. Um, and the, I mean, deforested, sorry. It, it was deforested. I thought you were starting with like the primeval forest and then it was no, deforested. No, yeah, no. But as we know, even the primeval forest was basically like tended and controlled by the Absolutely. natives. You know, so yeah. it wasn't just, this is like the wildest forest we've ever had in since humans have been here in New England, really. Um, and maybe we like it that way. But all that is to say is that it's not unnatural and it's certainly not inconsistent with the history of our towns to level all the trees. That's, you know, and with the amount of forest that we have and the fact that it's growing and there's all kinds of conservation land, let them do it. That's OK. People people have to make money, too. Um, you know, that's this America, man, you know, like, I mean, got to like I believe that. And it's New Hampshire, live free or die. Like, you got to let people do shit like that. But anyways, they, they got into, I think, stemming from the just shock of the, the townsfolk. There were several, I think, multiple, like, zoning board, planning board issues. Um, they were trying to open a taste. The latest one was that they were trying to open a tasting room. Um, right. And the town was basically like, that's a restaurant. You're, you didn't, you're not zoned for that. You didn't ask get a permit for that etc 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 and all this after i think other fights that really had kind of a um adversarial relationship between the select board and this this new agribusiness um but they won um they they cited a change and this is part of why they did this new hampshire changed their law a few years ago to promote businesses like this and to allow them to operate and basically say that things like tasting rooms like towns cannot deny them because they're not a restaurant if they are truly promoting like a farm experience even if they're not like a real farm like you know the the law is very much for this and again these are well-researched folks they clearly saw this and saw the opportunity and the zoning board and the select board if i'm getting the story right in hancock basically acceded that like, yeah, you're right. The law does say this. And the select board went so far as to say, like, we kind of want to reset here and have like a friendlier relationship, you know? So that's one example of a local business um, sort of fighting against, uh, you know, certain town boards and, and prevailing. A starker example, when, which I love, I just, I just always find this story so delicious is, is, um, hometown boy, he's like our age, Ben Fisk uh, of Temple, New Hampshire, one of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation in this region, started tapping maple trees around Temple on his neighbor's property when he was like four years old. No, I'm just kidding. I think it was, I think he was like 10, but like, we can just, let's just make him legendary. Like he, he was like Abe Lincoln, he couldn't tell a lie and he was tapping maple trees at four years old yeah. and born with a frying pan on his head or whatever. Exactly. Born with a <laughs> frying pan on his head, a blue ox named babe. Um, 
can't tell a lie, tapping maple trees, ma- making maple syrup before he's even in kindergarten, right? Um, his maple, if you've ever had his syrup, it will cure all of your illnesses. It's very. You should have tried that before you had your surgery. I don't know why I didn't I should mention have, that. I you. should have, you right. Um, and it is, it is. I make a lot of jokes about how I like the high fructose corn syrup better than the real maple syrup, but um, his syrup is very good. Um, but he, he grew this into like a full on business. And, you know, there's lots of people in New Hampshire who sell their own farm made uh, maple syrup, but he's got distribution now. And he wanted, you know, in accordance with his growing stature, he wanted to like open like a giant, like he's just got like a little hut on like a back road that people can visit right now. And he wanted to expand that into like an emporium on the side of 101, um, right where um, 101 meets Route 45, um, right at that little intersection there. And Temple tried to fight him on it. And the town was pretty split on it. And um, elections happened. And some people were voted out and some people were voted in. And the people who were voted in were of a particular orientation towards this project and the votes were had again and the project was allowed to go forward um i'm not criticizing anybody here i i um i admire the hustle tremendously and if you drive past this this thing on it's it's being built right now and it's huge i mean i'm not kidding when i say emporium like this is like the the castle that maple syrup built is is going up there and i also for the record i don't live in temple obviously but whatever zoning or whatever they were trying to go after him for it's a high it's i mean for those of you not from this region who are listening i don't mean like an interstate i don't even mean like a turnpike or a or a parkway or anything um which is usually what i think of when i say highway but like for around here 101 is considered a highway it's a it's a main road. There's all kinds of things from like industry to commercial and sometimes residential along that area. And putting an emporium there is consistent. And I'm on a zoning board, so I know these terms and how you think about things. It's consistent with the character of that area. And so I don't think it's an illegitimate ask to be able to, again, run your business as you see fit and build your emporium. Um, but if you're somebody who's really paranoid about like the influence of business and government, you won't like this, but I don't know. I think mm-hmm. it's interesting and I don't really have a particular problem with it. It seems, a, it seems a little different when it's such a small town thing. Yeah. It's not heaven forbid, you know, a Walmart or something like that. You know, it's, um, but I mean, I mean, particularly like the, the influence of business in the politics, like, Sure. Yeah, you know, there's no there's no like dark money. I, I don't know. Maybe there is. No. But. And, and, and these in everybody that we're talking about here, even even if the, the Wolf Pine Hollow people came from out of town, these are all residents that are fighting right. for their own rights as resident. And like, I know we like to, you know, hate outsiders and people from New York and Massachusetts and all that. Right. But, you know, at the end of the day, they have. <laughs> People born in New York and Massachusetts also have rights and they can move here and they can buy property here and they can have a business here and they they don't get um, handicapped in any way um, for not having lived here for a certain amount of time. Unfortunately, that's just not how it works. Um, so everybody here, I think, is is um, existing within the bounds of, I think, their their right as a as a citizen um, to do. And it's um 
it's just interesting to observe how these things go down and how how these um, forms of you know new forms of commerce you know emerge and and decline and whatnot. So there is actually it's been a quiet ass winter, but there's been a few things of note that have occurred. Yeah. Um, also, I, I haven't read his full message, but Andrew did get back to me. He will be um, on with us soon. Um, and it sounds like he's got plenty to say. That's why I haven't read it all um, yet. So um, hopefully maybe even by the time this episode comes on, we'll um, be recording with him and uh, we'll get something else out soon. Um, the other thing I just wanted to mention is that unless something changes between now and then, our plan right now is to for our next episode, as we mentioned in episode 50, we'll kind of celebrate our crossing of the the 50 episode mark and Zoe's lucky number of 52 with our 52nd episode and make use for the first time of a new feature available to us on this platform should we decide to keep it of having a call-in show and so around the time this episode comes out we'll be putting an event out there on social media that you can that'll have a link in it you can sign up to it and that will get you into the audience for our live recording and We'll probably have a couple special things on offer, but you know, one thing we're definitely going to um, make ourselves available for is the dispensation of good advice. Um, as you know, if you've listened to this program, we conclude each show by recommending that you please take good advice, but we don't necessarily make the claim that it's ours you should take just find it somewhere but this time this one time we'll say if you call us asking for our good advice because we tell you to do this all the time and maybe you don't have another source maybe in in your life good advice is really hard to come by call us up we can help you and this is our way of giving back one of one of our ways of giving back um so that's coming up. Anything else that we ought to ought to cover or talk about? We can talk about crocodiles next time. We learned some facts, guys, but we'll we'll. We did, but we're we're well over an hour at this point. So well, well over an hour, I don't, and it. I have and I have a lot to say about the crocodiles. Um, <laughs> so and and the our relative risk thereof. Um, so we'll we will save that for next time. And yeah, so again. Special thanks to our sound lord, Chad Patterson, whose wonderful hot dad rock band, Down by 10, by the time this episode comes out, we'll be able to say that we have finally gotten to see them in Milford at Riley's Place. I wish I could tell you to go to it, but it will be far too late by the time you hear this. But we're going to rock out. We'll, maybe we'll even grab some special video um, and, uh, and, and put it up for you so you know what you're missing if you didn't get out there. Um, but Chad's a great guy. He um, is helping us evaluate this platform. He edits all these episodes. He's going to make sure that everything is legit. And, uh, you know, toward that end, actually. He's going to make sure that this music isn't too loud, like it sounds snowy right now. Again, great fellow. That might set off a few filters that you don't want to set off in your browser if you're on a work computer for your child. Um, but he can produce for you, he can mix audio for you, 
consult with you on how to set something up, how to wear a room, you know, how to um, make your band sound like a real producer would, because that's what he does. He's got all the services on there. Band is also for hire if you can book them because they're pretty much got, you know, stuff to do every weekend. So special thanks to Chad on that. Now look, we're heading into the year. It's February now. We've got all kinds of stuff coming. You know, we're just kind of reminding you again that you can sponsor this program. Lots of people listening to this, regular listeners, you know, um, we're like Morning Joe, right? Um, morning show in the morning. Their mission from the beginning has not been to reach everyone but it's been to reach the people who make the decisions and make the calls. So those are the consumers you want. So advertise with us, very cheap, reach out to us. You can do that, okay? We'll remind you a little bit more aggressively from here on out. Lots of things in store for the future though, okay? So we love you. Thank you for joining us here in the Space Lounge. Hopefully it's warmer the next time we speak. Be on the lookout for a special event you to join us here in Space Lounge and you know until we can give it to you until we can come back together until you run into us on the street find it wherever you can even if it's hard in your life please for the good of society for the good of us all take good advice that's our show we'll see you next time here on GOMO tonight 